Hi, it's Grant Morris. Before the show starts today, I just wanted to tell you about the NOLA Chef's Aid for the Philippines. Remember after Hurricane Katrina here in New Orleans when we sort of dropped off the news and off the front page and nobody cared about us? Well, it's good to remember that the disaster that struck the Philippines is still going on. Nina Camacho along with Chef Leah Chase, Mia Mitch Landrew, Ralph Brennan from the Brennan Restaurant Group, GW Finn's Executive Chef, Tenny Flynn Brightson's Executive Chef Frank Brightson, and over 40 other chefs from around the state are going to be participating in a fundraiser at the Hilton Riverside at the New Orleans Hotel Grand Ballroom on Monday, December 16th. Between 5.30 and 6.30, you can go meet the chefs, and then the whole event takes place after that. If you'd like to go, you can get a ticket for $100. You can get a ticket for 50 bucks, or 75 or even 35 if you'd like to be a volunteer. It's called NOLA Chef's Aid, and you can get information about it at nolachefsaid.com. Welcome to Midnight Menu Plus One. I'm Ray Kanata. And I'm Margot Moss. We are live at Thrive, which is the original Laurel Street Bakery on Octavia and Laurel Street. But at night, it becomes Thrive Pop-Up. Margot and I meet here each Monday night to discuss food and culture, New Orleans food and culture, with a member of our local restaurant and food community. We asked them to bring along a plus one. Our special guest will be here in just a moment. He'll be bringing along a plus one. But before we do that, we have an opportunity to meet with Peter Menge, the uh, genius behind Thrive. So welcome, Peter. Thanks. Glad to have you here. Thanks for hosting. Uh, you're welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about Thrive? I can, yeah. But you know what genius means, right? That's not what I... <laughs> well, <laughs> I was just told that. I've never met you, actually. So I was, <laughs> um, we, so Thrive is food to go, and, it's, and we say it's healthier. So it's not, it's, that's with an I-E-R. Not, so it's not health food, but just food that's a little bit better. Um, we try to use whole ingredients. Um, seasonal, local, fresh ingredients when we can, and it's, it's all it's it's all takeaway. So this isn't a restaurant. You you come here, you buy the food, and you take it either home or to work or wherever. So there's you're seating eat it. here, but you don't want people to use it, right? Okay, but but well, the, this is also the Laurel Street Bakery, and so right. so there during the day people come and they get baked goods and they get coffee and they hang out. Um, yeah. and I actually have had people come here and and get food for me and then heat it up in the microwave so you you know i won't kick you out but um but it's really meant to be eaten somewhere else to go now how often is thrive here we are here monday through friday um and we i stay till about 7 30 at night and um monday is kind of like a day where we're it's a new menu we're catching up but during the week um other than on monday we we stop we stock the the deli case with fresh food so you could come here at any time. The bakery's open and get food. If, oh. you know, whatever's here is fresh. It's good. Um, if it's not, if it's no longer fresh, I take it home and eat it myself. Uh, and then I, when I stay late, I sell the bakery's uh, items for them. And then when they're here early in the morning, they see sell that mine is genius. From, yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Do not belittle yourself. That's it's, genius because otherwise the bakery goods would sit here. They close at two. Right. And they would have to try to sell them again the next day. And of course, baked goods aren't as great yeah. when they're not as fresh and all that. So that's great. Yeah, and it works out really well. People can come in, get dinner for the whole family, you know, get some treats. So you hear from two to seven? Uh, yeah, two to two thirty to seven thirty. Two thirty to seven thirty. Okay. Yeah. And I have to tell you, Ray, I have had uh, some many meals from Thrive, and I've ordered ahead. You can get a menu sent to you every week if you sign up for on their. Uh, Sir, uh, I don't know what is it called. The, Website, the, yeah. Listserv. The e- just sign up for the the email. Sign up for the email, and I can figure out what 
on and especially on Monday nights before I would come to the show, I don't have time to cook Julian dinner. Uh. So I would order ahead and pick up and it's fabulous food. Huh. And I, I don't feel one bit guilty that I'm not cooking home cooked food because he lo- he has loved everything. And I've also come when I'm unorganized and on a whim and picked up things mm. and it's it's always delicious. And you introduced me to one of my best customers, <laughs> your cousin Gene, who mm. comes all the time. Well we are we are um, we're gonna need to move on, but before we do, can you tell us a few of the things that you offer? What are some of the food items that yeah, you so have available? Yeah, so we usually do entrees and salads. And um, this week, uh, we're actually, tonight, y'all are going to try something we're going to put on the menu this week. It's a, it's a Swiss steak, and we made, uh, oh, it's using Eye of Round from Cleaver and Company. Um, and we also have nice. a pork tenderloin on the menu. We have a, a pan-seared redfish. We have a spaghetti squash, uh, chicken sausage, and kale dish that's hard to say by the way um baby spinach salad um we made a smoked salmon dip this week so it's just we usually do entrees maybe a sandwich salads and a usually as some kind of snack a hummus or something like that wow that sounds awesome well thank you thank you for coming um it's my pleasure we're looking forward to uh, a long uh relationship with you here and this is very exciting thank you all right great thanks Okay, Margo, looks like our special guest is here. I'm very excited. You know how crazy we are for locally sourced food here and uh, borderline fanatical, I would say. And so it's, it's uh, super exciting for us to have with us Seth Hampstead, who is the owner of Cleaver & Company, locally sourced, full-service butcher shop specializing in fresh meat and sausages, and I'll, I'll let him tell us more about it. But welcome here. Oh, glad, to, be glad here. to have you here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Well, okay, so you're, you've been in the news a little bit, I know, because of the St. Rock Project. Yes. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, everybody, I think, in the city that cares at all about the city is very, very excited about what's going on over there. Tell us a little bit about your involvement with that, maybe. Yeah, we, um, we actually put together kind of a small coalition of uh, small business owners and a uh, real estate developer to kind of take the, uh, what the city's renovated so far and turn it into a public market. Uh, we want to run it, you know, as a public market with independent vendors, trying to hopefully approximate a grocery store right. with small businesses. So has it been decided yet, everything that's going in there, or no? No, not yet. Yeah, uh, that's We're what still very okay. early in the process. We're okay. just uh, working getting the lease from the city right now. All right, well, I think we've gone ahead of ourselves a little bit <laughs> to jump. I was so excited to talk to you about the St. Rock. Maybe we'll get back yeah. to that, but maybe we should back up and tell us more about what exactly you do. Um, okay. Tell us about what, what sets you apart from other butchers in the city. Well, we're a full-service butcher shop, and we buy whole animals directly from the farmers. So we, you know, I know... Farms in Alaska and Montana, where are these farms? Yeah, all Louisiana and Mississippi. We're all within, what, 100 miles, 200 miles? Pretty much 250 miles is about as far as we go, but, you know, we like to keep it as close as possible because we want to go out to the farms ourselves and investigate them, make sure they're doing things the way we want them to be doing it and the way they say they're doing it. Um, You know, I talk continually with my farmers, actually talking with three of them today just on different things getting ready for the holidays and uh you know it's that level of you know interaction that we have that i think differentiates ourselves because we know exactly how these animals are raised you know i have an issue with you know how, something that's going on with one of my animals i can say hey i'm a little concerned about the quality of this right now what's going on and they can say well it's either the season or it's something going on or i'm having a little trouble because of the weather change you know the eggs aren't you know the chickens aren't laying eggs right now um, so it's like, you know, we can inform our, our customers of this, too, because, you know, we want to have interaction with the customers, too. We, and we want to be as transparent as possible so that we, you know, they know where everything's coming from. They know how everything's been treated. Right. And then we also kept the shop as open as possible so that they can see everything that we're doing, too. 
Yeah, so I mean, there's a big difference between what you're doing and like the national chain grocery store where they have the 500 mile long chicken farm where they're yeah. all cloned and they're all eating each other, right? They're eating yeah. like chickens, they're eating chickens, and like they never move past like their head sticks out a hole until they die. Yeah. It's like, it's none of that. Yeah, no, ours are all pasture raised, so they're all kind of <laughs> running around freezing in the rain sometimes, but you know, they get to actually live. Uh, a good life. So, so what's the biggest farmer you use? I mean, what would be like the closest to a big farmer? Closest to a big farmer, probably, it's, it's a good question, but I would say probably my cattle farmer. And yeah. just because, you know, his animals take two years to mature too. Yeah. You know, so you go out and, and look at his farm. And it's, it's absolutely beautiful farm in New Iberia. He's got, I don't know how many acres, but it's funny. I can actually spot it on Google Maps on the satellite view because you know he has this bright red roof. <laughs> you know, he's gonna be like, okay, you know, that's it. And then see all that green pasture around that, that's all of his. And but since you know it takes two years for his animals to mature, you know, he has to have a larger inventory than most. Uh, yeah. And what's the smallest farmer you use? I mean uh, you know, we were using smaller farmers but it uh, you know, it got to the point where we were, our weekly demands are kind of going out beyond them. Um, Thankfully, our, one of our chicken farmers kind of got together five uh, other farmers to kind of form this cooperative that we call Local Boy Farms so that he can give access to these smaller farmers who can't continuously do 30 chickens a week for us, but he can pull in a couple of, you know, from them. Oh, that's nice to, um, for them yeah. to collaborate. and. Yeah, and we're pushing for more of this right now. And actually, I had an extensive conversation with him today about kind of building out our poultry operations so that we can get more farmers involved in and carry more products too, not just chickens, yeah. but you know, especially for turkeys, uh, you know, we want to have a, a better supply of turkeys locally because, like, you know, past couple of years we've had to go to Kansas to get heritage breeds, and mm. we think, you know, if we did a little bit of uh, work, we can get uh, a good supply. Now, from do you do like here. exotic animals then too? Since you're doing the small stuff, I mean, do you have like the most exotic. I mean, can I get nutri meat from you or something like that? Yeah, everything that we uh, we sell has to go through a state inspected or a federally yeah. inspected plant. Uh, so they have to be farmed animals. So like the nutria we can't get, uh, or we can't sell <laughs> human consumption at least, I should say. Um, you know, the most exotic we've gotten so far was uh, one of our farmers, uh, our pork farmer had a wild boar get onto his property and uh, have its way with a couple of the ladies. And uh, a mixed breed. Yeah, so we had some half wild boar, half large black uh, pigs that wow, were just what was that absolutely like? beautiful. Oh, they were beautiful. They had this like dark red meat to them this really interesting marbling it was now, really good how did you decide how to price that did you price that more than regular pork we we started out at the same price and just would see how it would go and then um you know people really loved it so we just kind of kept running with it as you know it's the same price as our regular pork um huh. yeah we were so hoping still available no no we only oh. had about 15 uh a litter of 15 that were available to okay. us so we we did it for about four to five what weeks. happened to that boar well he's He's off in the forest somewhere right now, oh. presumably. Oh, so, okay, I understand. So it was more like a, a drive-by uh, copulation. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he, he, didn't, he got through he didn't, the fence. He didn't take residence in the farm. No, no. He, he, he swung through one night, had, yeah. had, a, had a party, and then left. Exactly. You know, Friday night, he came into town, decided to ha you know, have some fun, and then went and back it, And then so went to Bourbon Street. And, for, uh, yeah. for for some feature, repeat. Yeah. 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 Or, or maybe, he, maybe he really didn't enjoy it that much because he hasn't been back, huh? Well, we'll see. Well, yeah, it takes time? some time for the, the litters to, to... Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So maybe he is and you don't know it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. That's yeah, and then, so they pop out and you go, that looks a little... Oh, yep, that's a boy. Now, now you're a businessman <laughs> and this is your this was your whole... This is your concept and everything, right? I mean, yeah. you started this. Okay. So uh, how long ago, by the way? Uh, we've been open just over a year now. Okay. Yeah. And um, are you a butcher yourself too? Well, so I worked... I did some training in Chicago when okay. I lived there. 
to, to learn the craft. And um, that's get, like the, that's like the best place wait, when I think of yeah, yeah. I think of Chicago. Although I think of it the wrong reason. I think of like uh, you think of Sinclair like, and like yeah the yeah. jungle and and you know body parts falling in the mix. Yeah, and all and that there's stuff, still a, a place in Chicago called Bubbly Creek that is still bubbling from all of the uh, questionable carcasses they got thrown in there, including some politicians. But ah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, you know, I learned the craft in Chicago just so I could at least know enough to, to craft the business around it, and you know, uh, if need be. Pick so up you had a vision myself. for this, and you said, "I really like meat. I want to cut meat up." Yeah. Were you like? When it was, yeah. It was, how did do you you? Because you had no history in meat, right? I mean, this no, was yeah, not really. What, I mean, what actually is your some, background? I actually what had some your... distant relatives that were uh, are cattle farmers in uh, in West Virginia. Oh. But okay. uh, beyond that, I, I didn't really. I, I I used to be a chemist, which is okay. why I got, what got me curious in dry curing back in the so day. So you were like in a PhD program at University of Chicago, right? Yeah, I was at University of Chicago. Now, but then you went and yeah. became an, an economist. Yeah. So were you, a, were you studying a PhD in, you pursuing a PhD in chemistry at Chicago? Or yeah, was I, was, it? I was doing a PhD in chemistry oh. in Chicago. All right, so that was all my Milton Friedman questions for you or whatever. Yeah, well, okay. yeah, Uncle Milty, as he was known around the <laughs> he office. He was still the, yeah, he's yeah. the, he's the patron saint of economists at the... Yeah, and there's still, yeah, there's yeah. still an altar to his, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, but you weren't doing any of that. Yeah, I wasn't, but, yeah. I, I, yeah, I have, no idea years. The, I have no idea who the Godfather of Chemistry is. The University of Chicago. Yeah, well, um, the Manhattan Project, basically. But, oh, yeah. oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Enrico Fermi is basically the uh, the Godfather of Chemistry there. Wow. Um, or that depends on who you ask. Would have been you if you'd stayed longer. Yeah. <laughs> so why, if you were at PhD level, yeah. would you? I, what what possessed yeah, you to? switch to switch uh you know i was getting i, I wanted to go more into industry and university of chicago is a very academic leaning uh institution so i was getting pushed more in academia and i just didn't really want to deal with the politics of it so i decided you know some time for me to do something different so you don't the coursework already or what, what were i was you yeah I was, I was completely done with coursework so you're um, abd at that point exactly and then you yeah. quit yeah, and then I, I walked away wow yeah and how long ago was that when, when, when that would have been about 2000 2000 okay so then in the yeah, last 13 years then you've been preparing for the destiny that you that awaited well, th- you yeah then i worked okay. eight and a half years in an economic uh, consulting firm wow uh, yeah which, what does which, that mean so what, we, what we did that? um basically antitrust and securities fraud expert witness testimony uh yeah wait for, for the uh for the the trust or against the trust it depends on who's paying more <laughs> <laughs> of course uh, yeah we um you know we only had uh, three nobel prize winners on staff yeah so you knew you you knew you wanted to get into this um, uh, locally raised yeah. butcher business. Yeah, as so I was, you know, when I was working as an economist, I was like, look, you know, and I was kind of a markets guy. So I okay. was a guy figuring out um, in the antitrust kind of what the markets were and the penetration of markets and uh, market power. So, and I was going to the farmers markets on the weekends, and you know, they're always really early on a Saturday. If you don't get there early enough, things run out and. All the meat had to be pre-cut, frozen, and it's like there has to be a better way for this, you know, especially oh. for the farmer, yeah. because you know they spend you know all of their you know, useful time being in production. That that's what their specialty is, growing mm. good things, and then they're taking a day out to go to this farmers market and, and sell things. Well, what if we could be that conduit for? It? What if we could be that venue uh, in Chicago or in New Orleans to where we can sell their stuff, you know, six seven days a week, and they can do what they do best, which is grow meat hmm. so that's why I, you know and then i was you know say to be a butcher to be you know so i can learn the craft and really so figure out the economics up, have you ever it. cut up an animal like a raw animal five years ago eight years yeah ago? It was, it's it 
five, six years ago now. It's, I was joking last with my guys. Started, okay. It's probably been, you know, it's probably been two or three years now since I've last done, you know, and thankfully we found some very talented guys here, so I don't have to do it. Okay. <laughs> you know, I can run the business and, and manage every aspe- other aspect of it for them and let them do what they do well, too. Hmm. Well, I think we need to pause from the butcher conversation for just a second because I see your plus ones here, and I think it's time to introduce for you to introduce him to us. Okay. We do not know who he is, but okay. he looks very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you introduce? Yeah, sure. It's uh, Grayson Gill of Belgard Bakery. He's kind of the uh, the very talented and rogue baker of New Orleans. You say and rogue baker and rogue baker. Yeah, he actually came to us uh, a while back and was like, "I've got th- I've got this crazy idea of." Uh, of using your cracklins in a bread. And I was like, I really thought that we had put cracklin in just about everything we could, <laughs> and you want to put it in a bread. Like, this is fascinating. So. All right. And that's how you got to know each other. Yes. And now you're friends. Yeah. Business partners. It must have yeah, uh, <laughs> been successful if it, uh, if y'all yeah, move forward in your friendship. We uh, we make that bread. I call it the Cajun fougasse. Uh, fougasse is a Southern Southern French bread from Provence is a traditional oh. bread that's made with olive oil and typically anything from like lardon to anchovies and I you know a whole mission of my bakery is to reflect and kind of channel the the wide deep history of New Orleans baking traditions and all the things that go on here so I had an idea of trying to incorporate something that Seth made oh. um, into the bread and we sell that we sell the bread at um, Seth's shop every Saturday, and we also make a different version of that bread for St. Marie Brasserie and for Broussards All right. Well. So, yeah. All right. Exciting. <coughs> cool. Well, I know Broussards has just put a bunch of money into um, making things better there yeah. and kind of revitalizing that. Yeah. New, a renewed mission there, which mm-hmm. is great. Um, so you're involved with them, and you supply the bread for them. So the old yeah. bread they use is from you, or some of the bread they use is from you? As far you, as or? the table bread, that's, yeah, we do all the table that's bread all you. for them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's got to be yeah. a lot. Um, they go through quite a bit, especially with the holiday season, yeah. I mean, you have any idea of the volume? You must, right? I do uh, probably a few hundred pieces a week for them. A few hundred pieces a week? Yeah. yeah. And wow. what is their, um, what is the strangest <laughs> bread that you've produced besides the, um, I mean, I, I, I hate to say strange, but what most is exotic. the most exotic or most culturally relevant that we wouldn't know about in uh but unusual. I would say we do a St. James cheese as a cheese class just about every Wednesday, different Mm -hmm. um, regional classes with wine. They do pairings. So um, I think it was about three weeks ago, they did a class on sake. So that was a bit of a challenge to come up with a bread that would pair not only with the sake, but also with the cheeses that Mm. Casey had chosen Mm. for the class. So I took some uh, Cajun grain rice. That's a brown jasmine rice grown in Kinder, Louisiana. Mm. And I paired that with, um, they make a a Cajun grain rice flour and a Cajun grain grits. So I cooked those grits down. And then I also added some of the rice flour and some Louisiana molasses to a loaf of whole wheat bread and had a really delicate kind of crumbly mouth texture and mouth feel. And then the the rice flour gave that kind of crispiness too. So that was a bit of a, I guess, like an intellectual challenge in the sense of trying to line up with something that somebody wants that they're not necessarily able to articulate as far as bread goes. Very creative and um, and probably an evolution and trial and error, right? Hmm. Yeah, but also grounded, I think, too, because it's not some, like, far out, you know, reduced pineapple and Haitian (laughs) rum or something, you know. It's it's very, like, with the crackling bread, the fougasse, it's it's some cayenne pepper and herbs of Provence, and it's a pureed, you know, crackling, so it's not, Mm. you know. 
bread when when I like to when we add stuff to bread at the bakery it's not about eating like blue cheese like you don't you want to like the bread because of the fermentation the quality of the bake the flour the water all the other ingredients you don't want to if you're going to eat crackling go and buy some crackling from Seth if you want a well-balanced you know loaf of bread or a different flavor that's complemented by crackling or whatever it may be mm-hmm. that's great but the the quality and strength and the dexterity of the baker should be present in the bread not in the additions to the bread oh that's interesting yeah, something that always impressed me about what grayson does is it's always you know rooted in you know traditional you know uh, styles of bread and everything and it's just like this modern riff on it that is just always goes in a great direction now how'd you get involved in bread making i started baking in the bywater about five or six years ago at a okay. commercial kitchen and just kind of snowballed. Hmm. Yeah. You, okay, so you, what were you doing before that? I um, I was in college for a few years and yeah. Yeah, had so left the, and came down here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now, how'd you get down here? On a Greyhound bus <laughs> <laughs> from, from Port Authority. <laughs> from Port Authority. Okay, yeah, so my, you in New York yeah. originally? Um, I was up there for a few years and my best friend's family's from Chalmette and he okay. was down here and I was in New Hampshire and uh must have been February, and I was shoveling some snow off of a roof, and he called and said it was like 85 degrees <laughs> down here in February, and there was another, like, Northeastern coming in up there, and I was just said. Had you visited know. him before? I had been down here, yeah. Okay, so you're familiar here. with the Yeah, 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 yeah. I the was. The city and the culture. Not, not as much, but yeah, I definitely was. And do you have an interest in history? I mean, do you have any background yeah. in history? Um, just kind of freelance amateur i like to read a lot that's all that i do i'm reading uh, the richard campanella book right now the bienville's dilemma oh that's, that's a great book that's a fantastic uh, book i did a lot of research for the bakery there's a there was a guy in the 50s that was a bit of a his you know a historian for the baking industry and culture down in new orleans and his papers are tulane at the tilton memorial library so i read his papers and i don't know you know john Fulce's encyclopedia of you know cajun and creole oh, yeah. cooking yeah yeah and, Interesting. So, huh. so do you think you're going to be doing bread 50 years from now, or what? If my body keeps up with it, yeah. It's really, it's really physical. I so think. now, where now now is this something you can do from home, or do you have uh, you have space for this? No, or? I have a like 2,500 square foot production facility. Okay, yeah. wow. And it's just you. There's about four or five of us. Four or five yeah. drivers, okay. including drivers and okay. all that stuff. But yeah. Yeah, we do on average, and the slowest day is about 300 loaves of bread a day by hand. That's your slow day. Yeah. Wow, each yeah. one done by hand. And yeah. do now, you have to do that all night? I mean, is it like a, you wake up at 3 we, in the morning we and do, you work all night? We do a style of baking called retarded fermentation, where the fermentation is, is slowed down, so it's a, it's a slow slow rise, and it rises overnight in a walk-in cooler. So every loaf of bread that we make gets at least you know 24 hours of fermentation. So the bread for tomorrow, was we finished mixing today like 10:45 this morning so it's in the walk-in until we arrive in the morning to cut it and divide it and and mm. bake it off now what's the advantage of that the slower fermentation what better flavor but yeah. also just you know ease of production mm-hmm. um some i won't i won't name names but a lot of a lot of bakeries all Come over on. all over <laughs> all over you know the country and also also in france and wherever else it's just it's a straight kind of mix and there's no mm. i mean bread is fermentation and if you're gonna if you're gonna cheat the main step it's like I don't know. It's like using a hair dryer just to get the job done. So can you can you taste the difference? You think? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's about maximizing minimum ingredients. So it's I work with flour, water, and salt, okay. and time. Okay. And that's a really conscientious effort, especially down here with the weather and the climate. It's just a it's a real gamble as far as kind of teasing that in and getting it down where you right. have it right. 
So yeah, oh. do you have to control the environment more than another yeah. creative cooking process? Yeah. I, mean, I, know, I, I know nothing, but th like, I've wondered the water. Mm -hmm. Do you have to, and do you have to treat the water? Is it soft water or hard water different for yeah. your process? I have a water softener because mm -hmm. with bread, you don't want a particularly hard water and uh -huh. you don't want to get like a reverse osmosis filter because you need minerals, you know, to act as a catalyst for the fermentation. So you don't want a kind of a vacuous, great tasting water. Mm -hmm. And then again, you don't want some public, public water that's full of garbage and it's really hard. So. Well, wow. well, I know there's, I know, I know all this stuff is, um, is debatable because uh, we had the Revista uh, people, you know, the, you know, Revista yeah. folks, uh -huh. they, they're wonderful. Lisa we had them Chris. on the show, yes, and they actually took opposite uh, views on the uh -huh. <laughs> on the role of humidity in uh, in their baking, uh -huh. and one was completely convinced it was it had one effect, and the other was completely convinced baker, it had the opposite. But one is a baker. Yeah, but the other one was like the sous chef at Commanders too. So I mean, it's like you know they're both yeah. pretty qualified. Oh, they're both qualified. And they but both I own mean, a bakery. <laughs> yeah, but I but I would imagine there is, if you're baking bread, that the, it's more of a. I'm scientific so, and what, what um, I'm, what, I guess what I'm just trying to say is there's got to be some art to it too. It's not all oh. it's not all just straight well, science. It's not like we can just look it up and say, okay, this is this is for sure the effect on this. You're discovering effects as you're doing it, probably. Right, and I think right. it's a matter of being dexterous with knowing all the different elements that go into it and controlling those two. So yeah, it may not be because there's a rainstorm or because it's particularly humid. I mean, that's a matter of knowing how to control those things and approach those things. Mm. But that may not be may not have a direct. You know, result on the finished product so much as what the baker put into it mm. yeah. now you're going to also be involved in the saint rock project then as yes. well right or you're hoping to the the, the corporation that uh that you you all formed you're part of that yeah, yeah, we're non -profit. yeah we want to do a non-profit so right. that way we don't think the market itself should make money you know this is a public building it's a public good okay we don't want the you know, organization that is running the market to necessarily make money. We want that, you know, all that money that comes into the market to be reinvested into the market. Okay, but and the, therefore keeping the rents low for the vendors to make. But money. the vendors will make money. Oh yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, you're the not doing this on charity. Yeah, right. No, I mean, no. Um, but 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 the, but the sort of the parent group that's sort of working with the vendors, that's yeah. going to be a nonprofit, and and you're you're the. You and and the other people that you named are are, uh, are over the, uh, the the yeah we're going to or we're part of the initial board okay uh, and then we're you know we'll also have some community representatives on the board once we actually get formed and, and running forward but uh, okay yeah you know, we we think that the, the market really needs to have a strong vendor presence on the board and the right. management to make sure that we have a sustainable market you know? yeah if it's just I would imagine if it's just a board of people that aren't really affiliated with the community or the the, the businesses that are going there then mm -hmm. it's harder to have a balanced opinion and um, influence yes so exactly. and that's why we think you know we want to have vendor representation and community representation on the board um, so that you know we all can you know have the resources and the knowledge to bring to the board and hopefully make it a very successful market so now, are there is there a possibility that so, that the city's going to go a different direction with this? There, there is a possibility. We, you know, we who decides? Um, so there's a. So I filled out a survey for St. Rock, yeah. right? That I don't know who put it out there, but it was Actually, like, yeah, I it think, was a long survey. My friend Ben McLeish was the one who pointed me towards it. Yeah, and I think was he the one that uh, posted it? Possibly he posted it, right? Yeah, and uh, it got several hundred answers and asked you what neighborhood yeah. you're in and would you like this and would you like that and what are your current habits and so forth. And it was a pretty yeah. extensive thing. It seemed to be fairly sophisticated. And then they yeah. printed the results, but I mean. 
uh, who's deci- he's not deciding who is he or who's no, deciding? Um, I mean, ultimately, it comes to um, there's a quasi-governmental uh, corporation called the uh, New Orleans Building Corporation that technically owns the building. Okay, uh, and it's basically an entity owned by the city of, of New Orleans that owns the buildings. Uh, and they're the ones that uh, decide, their board decides who gets the lease. Okay. Um, now, you know, we're working through, uh, the, the New Orleans Building Corporation has retained a uh, real estate agent to market the building, to oh, find gotcha. bids, to, to, you know, attract people to run the market. And, you know, we, we've put our hat in the ring. We actually have a, uh, a community meeting coming up. So uh, somebody horrible like yeah. Win Dixie or something comes by and, and wants to yeah, <laughs> you know, they, 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 I'm I mean, sure they that, can submit can a uh, proposal also. Yeah, I mean, I anything mean, theoretically can that could happen, yeah. right? Now, you know, I would say that, you know what the city's done with the renovations already, you know, doesn't really lend itself to a a grocer going in there. You know, okay. one like a Rouse's or a Win Dixie, um, you know, and the and the footprint of it's probably smaller than any Rouse's or Win Dixie you ever go to. Now I had a question for you. Um, I heard a rumor that you have butcher classes. Yes. Um, okay. So like, okay. So I like, I paint once in a while. I'm not. I'm not a real artist like Margot, but I can yeah. go ahead and take like the um, the paint by numbers class that they have at the what's yeah. the name of the place that they have. We have another artist here smirking yeah. <laughs> at me right now, Chris. But um, I did. I tell you, and I painted a couple of things I stuck on my wall. As somebody yeah. who's never butchered at all, I've never yeah. hunted before. I've never cleaned a fish. I've never yeah. fished before in my life. I've you know. I can I can go. You have a beginner's class I can go to, and I can learn to. Yeah, do so I, I wouldn't recommend putting any of it on your wall, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have some butchering demos, so you can see how how to break down a hog. Um, how uh, many times have you done this? Uh, we do about every month or two. We will have. So you've one. had hundreds of people in this town that have come by and. Yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, yeah, have you suspected any to be like serial killers or anything? You've rewarded more. Only about, a couple. You know how like flight <laughs> school every once in a while, like you know, after nine eleven, they went. Wait a second, that guy. You know, he didn't like, ask how to land. Yeah, <laughs> he, was, he just didn't know how to. He wanted. He didn't. He only wanted to take off. He didn't want to learn how to land. Yeah. Um, and he was asking about uh, cargo, you know, fertilizer and stuff. Like, do you ever have anybody you go like, I don't know, I should call the police. This guy doesn't. Yeah, every once in a while you can to, start to wonder. You know, when they start really you know, asking questions about how how it was killed. And, you know, <laughs> specifically, what size clamp did you use for that? <laughs> you start to wonder. On. <laughs> yeah. I think it'd be a great date, though. Well, it was funny. Uh, I really do. It's a genius idea. Yeah, last year, so we also do a sausage-making oh. class. And last, you know, last year we did, well, I guess it was earlier this year, we did one right after Valentine's Day. And we realized it was all couples doing the sausage-making <laughs> class. And we're just like, I wonder what that means. I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a psychiatrist, but, <laughs> <laughs> but wow! So you do a sausage making class too? You can yeah. really learn a lot about a person. I mean, look, I'm <laughs> speaking. If a guy asked me to go on a yeah. date and uh, to do that, I think yeah. it would be so creative, and I would yeah. love that. I think I most know, of I it was the gr- yeah, was the the woman was buying it for the couple. Yeah. I was like, you know, this is a Valentine's Day gift that you know both of us can do. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, I like that. You can learn a lot about a person by like how they. Oh, well, now we're going to go into. Yeah, all yeah, I know. It's like, can we make some some off-color jokes? But, but seriously, but. if they're squeamish or um, I don't know, I I 
I think it's a really neat to learn how to where your food comes from and yeah. not just go yeah. out and eat all the time or, or it's, yeah, it's cook been, at home to just really see now, what you, you goes think anybody into became it. like a vegetarian after the class too I mean like do, did anybody I don't, swear off been, meat yeah I think you know if you if you bought the ticket to get in you know you you've you probably know what you're about to get into. No, I don't. But, yeah, I don't. I, I disagree because, like, I, I, yeah. you know, I've seen meat behind a counter, yeah. but I think like handling it and like guts. I mean, it, it could ruin meat to me. I'm yeah. kind of, I'd be kind of afraid of it. To be it's honest. been interesting I like to see, a lot. you know, all like, the people coming in because, especially, you know, when we get the, you know, on Fridays usually or the days that we get all the animals in, and then, you know, when people see like this parade of animals coming in, you know, being carried in, they're, they're dead already. But you know, with <laughs> with the head still on it and everything, it, it can really get to them. But you. know, that was more like right, right when we first opened, and I think now people are just a little bit more used to it. Uh, whenever you get the small hogs in, that's yeah. usually when people really start to, to get a little, a uh, little green about it because, yeah, you know, sometimes they're about the you know one woman's like that's the size of my dog, you know, and it was just a, you ever see a Portlandia sure. skit. Where yeah. like they want to, they're at a restaurant and they're ordering the free range chicken and da da da, da and yeah. then they're like, "Can I meet the chicken?" And so they, then they yeah. have to go to the farm first before they can order it, you know. And then yeah. they have a relationship with the chicken, and then they, you know, <laughs> whole thing. so like, you ever have anybody like get really bizarre on you like that while you were? Well, well, I, I have the, the photos for them, but uh, you know, I, um, one of our farmers, she always sends us pictures of the cattle, you know, when they. And we were getting some veal from her, and, and she would uh, send us pictures of it, you know, still nursing on its mother to say we should put this on Facebook. And I, I love having these photos because it's like, you know, I want to see what this animal looked like. And I want to see how it was raised. And some of our customers do, too. And people ask about it, and I'm like, here, it's on my phone. Like, I'll show it to you. Um, but I was like, I don't think I'm going to put that on Facebook. Like, that, I don't think some people are going to You know, <laughs> you know the whole it, business. Yeah, see it's still nursing its mother, and you feel like, I oh, really want to eat that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So how many people would you say after the class uh, changed their style of eating? I mean, do you, have you yeah. had people come in and say, I eat meat so much more now that I've shop with you or, or I've learned with a little bit differently actually we kind of advocate people eating less meat but better meat and people have especially after the, the butchering demos when we kind of go through all the different uses for the different parts and uh, we also kind of communicate this is the proper portion size like you know people will come in looking for like pounds of meat for like one person for one meal and it's like that's yeah. just not you know how much you right. should be eating you know this is a proper portion size and you know try this Come back if you want more. And, you know, people have said, you know, I, I really get it now. Like, it, it's, and it's much more filling. It's much more satisfying, I should say. Right. Um, when you're eating, like, a full fat, you know, properly raised animal because your body eats that fat and goes, you know what? I'm full. I'm satisfied. Whereas if you're eating boneless, chick, you know, skinless yeah. chicken breasts, your body just keeps going, okay, more protein, more protein because it needs fat. And, uh, once it's they, not a balanced meal as much. It's not as a balanced saying, meal right? at all. Yeah. Um, so it's like you know, if you eat the animal the way it was supposed to be raised and how it's supposed to be treated, it's uh, it's a much more satisfying experience, and you don't need nearly as much meat to go with it. Um, yeah. People will come in. You know, we cut the pork chops. They saw the big fat cap on them. They go, "What do I do with that?" And you're like, "Well, you cook it and then you eat it. <laughs> if you don't want all that fat, you know, just put it aside and uh, use it when next time you're making red beans. Throw it in there and." You know, uh -huh. it's going to be the best bed beans you ever made. <laughs> well, I would imagine, too, it, it's maybe similar in bread, the bread you're making and the meat you're selling. Um, people um, don't really know what food tastes like until, 
I mean, I would imagine if you've never had farm fresh food or maybe bread with a certain flavor and then you're exposed to it, you you crave that or you, you want more of that because it, it tastes good. And we had uh, Chef Saris from um, the culinary uh, program the, the, at Tulane. What um, yeah. is it? The um, oh, I'm drawing a blank. It's my culinary friend. medicine program at yeah, Tulane. The, um, the first um, yeah, where they're teaching the doctors how to cook, so they can go yes. out to the community and teach them how to cook. And yeah, and the we're, we're actually hoping that we'll, we can partner with them for the St. Rock uh, Market, so that they can uh, use it as a venue to teach classes. At. Oh, excellent! Yeah, yeah and that's we think it's really and frankly, important. It's a neighborhood for a long time that didn't have a lot of good healthy food options too. That's one yeah. of the few places in the city that has a lot of fast food around there too. Oh, yeah, a lot of junk. There's a rallies next door to it. Yeah, you know? right. And it's like, boy, but yet, yet it's a community that has so much funk to it, and just so much interest in life and creativity, and history, and that history. They used to have yeah. access to yeah. fresh food and. Um, so this yeah. would bring that back to the community. Yeah, we're we're hoping to bring it back. That's so exciting. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, to me, the, it, it, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, there's got to be something very fulfilling about um, when you're locally sourced like this, knowing that this is helpful not only to um, you know to, to to me, but it's helpful to the people that supply me. You know, you, mm-hmm. you already talked about that. You said yeah. you said you know how it's a better lifestyle for them than having to travel and do the stuff they don't really like to do at the or isn't really what they're called to do in the farmer's markets. Yeah. But then it's also better for the community, the customers too. I mean, it's healthier for them. You mm-hmm. alluded to that. I mean, everybody wins basically except for some corporation in, you know, wherever yeah. that's losing out on this, you know, except for yeah. Tyson or whatever. But Yeah, yeah it's like no know, offense, but, but I don't feel bad for Sanderson Farms. Yeah, you know? right, 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 right. I mean, who loses in this? No one, right? I mean, what's the drawback to this? I mean, and how about you cost know, too? Now, price is, is price a big concern? Is it? I mean, a lot price more is a big concern. It, you know, since you know they didn't, there are no shortcuts taken. Right. Um, you know, it does cost more. You know, yeah. and, and we have people coming in asking you like, oh, how many fill? You know, what all do you put in your sausages or filler? And it's like we don't put anything. In it. It's all just right. straight meat, seasoning, salt. You know, that's it. I mean, my, my answer to that when people say that sometimes, though, I don't know if you agree with this, but yeah. I, I always say what you alluded to before, you don't need to eat as much of the good stuff yeah. as yeah. you do oh, that, yeah, of crappy that's stuff. Was... That's one thing. The other thing is there's a hidden cost. You know, oh. you eat the crappy stuff, and 10 years later, you got it, you got cancer or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah, you got to yeah. go back. Or diabetes. You know, yeah, or diabetes these, or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, you pay for it now or you pay for it later. And, you know, I would, you yeah. know I'd rather pay for it now and pay for it in a healthy way. Than well, and that's why I think, you know, Tulane's trying to you know, re-educate people how to cook because, like, so many right. people don't know how to cook anymore. So it's, you know, they go to the grocery store and just get all the prepared stuff. And who knows what's in all that stuff. Yeah, right. And then, you know, we're finding out now, it's like, you know, margin was healthy for you. Uh, right. No, that wasn't true. You know, now we're finding out that, you know, natural lard, uh, you know, the beef that we sell at the shop is all grass-fed and finished. It's right. higher in omega-3s and lower in omega-6s. Right. Um, you know, omega-3s are the good, what you're supposed to eat fish for. You know, it's yeah. higher in CLAs, which are good for brain development. You know, all these health benefits that we've lost because we went to this industrial agriculture yeah. uh, thing that, you know, it's really, well, you know, it's oh, really yeah. hurting I mean, us. For example, I, I always know when I buy organic fruit, at the chain grocery store that sells organic stuff, mm-hmm. it doesn't have a third the juice as much as like my lemon tree in my backyard, you know. And I yeah. think it's better to have a fresh lemon from my, you know, from close by, mm-hmm. you know, from a, from a Louisiana farmer, yeah, you know, Satsuma that was picked a day or two ago or whatever. Yeah. That's far healthier, I gotta believe, because it's way well, juicier than having yeah. an organic one that shipped from well, Taiwan. Yeah, because they didn't you know? have to pick it when it was unripe, and right, then, you right. know, so it can and ship, ship it over and then and you know then put it in a chamber with the. Oh, what do they use for Ethanol. that? Ethanol. It's eth- <laughs> ethylene. ethylene. It's ethylene gas that they use to, to, ripen. to ripen. Oh, sweet. Yeah. That's, that sounds really healthy. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, just but, but just this is more on that. Um, but I was, uh, Chef Saris was saying she exposed community yeah. people uh, in the community to a traditional dish that they everybody eats in New mm-hmm. Orleans, but she made it like seven different ways, and they never picked the food that was bought with the stuff with preservatives in it and even though that was exactly the way they were making it they just people just don't realize and you don't have to have a sophisticated palate or be some you know have tons of money to be able to appreciate far you know fresh healthier Mm -hmm. food help you know so to me that's what's exciting and you'll be bringing that to a community You know, maybe some of the products will be higher end, but people will have access to um, yeah to fresh what we th- you know hopefully you know we also want to make sure that it's as affordable as possible too, um, but yeah we want to give people the option of you know giving access to fresh food and uh, and then also you know we want to work and do classes to make sure that they they know what to do with it you know and how to plan and uh, meal properly mm. and that's gonna be part of the St. Rock. Yeah, that's part um, of the, our community outreach program. Yeah. You know, I, I just gave uh, 15 of my lemons to uh, Chef Sarah. She's making some lemon marmalade for her mom or somebody Yum. in Rhode Island. Yeah, mm-hmm. I left them on my porch this week. And I brought you some eggs, by the way, if you want some eggs, either oh. one of you. Um, <laughs> we, got, we got more eggs than we can use. Tonight. Good, they're, yeah, we've been, yeah, our egg farmer has been faltering. Yeah. yeah, you can <laughs> have them. You can have them. Yeah. He these, doesn't trust these, No, no, After no. All that talk but about these guys killing. get uh, no, no. Oh, yes, right. You don't need them. You got enough eggs, they, right? They, uh, yeah. No, those, those are we, those are those are uh, from my backyard. Excellent. Yeah. So um, we have to interrupt this interesting conversation to go to the book of questions. <laughs> yeah, from the sublime to the banal. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I would like you to pick a number between one and two hundred and seventeen. Please. All right, Set. let's go uh, 216. 216. I think that's new. Toss. <laughs> Always trying to break okay. new ground. Yeah. Okay. Pioneer. If a crystal ball oh boy. would tell you the truth about any one thing you wish to know concerning yourself, life, the future, or anything else, what would you want to know? That's a good one. Um, Finally, someone said that's a good one. <laughs> He's lying. Yeah, <laughs> it's just filler. <laughs> um, you know, I uh, I think Grayson I think might agree with this. Well, no, um, oh, we've already figured all that out, <laughs> except when we don't. Uh, and then we go, oh, no, that was wrong. Um, you know, I think uh, Grayson might agree with me on this. And it's like, I, I feel like, you know, as a culture, we have gone away from agriculture, and now we're kind of coming back to it. And I just want to, you know, I would like to know in the future if, if this is actually, you know, this movement has legs to it, and if this is, we're on the right ship. I know we're on the right ship. I just want to know if, like, this is something bigger that's coming up that it's going to be, uh, you know, I, I think it's worthwhile. And definitely I think it's worthwhile because we're doing it. But, uh, you know, I just want to make sure that it, it's what happens. Well, that's interesting. Nice. Okay, Grayson. Mm-hmm. Sorry to do it to you. What were the numbers? Between one and two hundred and seventeen. I'll take two seventeen. All right. <laughs> okay. Good thing I was right with the numbers. Okay. Yeah. If you were guaranteed honest responses to any three questions, who would you question and what would you ask? 
that's so hard. Is that <laughs> okay? How about just any one. three? Yeah, right. One, yeah. If oh, yeah. you could have one honest response, who would that? And it can be personal. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, about your. Wait, is this a living or a dead person or anybody? Anybody, in history? anybody, history. Who killed Laura Palmer? No. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose maybe going on the theme of the um, the evening with food is, is this kind of recent trend going back to Seth's question about people's kind of aversion to wheat or this gluten allergy and all these mm-hmm. problems that people have. And I think tying back into Seth's question, uh, I just think the irony of, of calling organic farming organic and conventional farming conventional. I mean, 80 years ago, organic farming was conventional, and that's, that's how our grandparents were raised, whether it was in Des Moines or whether it was in Dresden or Beijing. There was... You know, there wasn't petroleum and all these other chemicals put on food and bread wasn't thrown in the mixer and really beat up. So um, I, I question people, I guess, in general, as far as making these assumptions that aren't really predicated maybe on anything that they've tried, you know, wholeheartedly. And going back to the portion control, of, you know, at the butcher shop and things like that, I think people are slowing down to take patience with something that is a little bit different. Or sometimes I run into a few brick walls about doing bread that's not, you know, po'boy bread or French bread, whatever, <laughs> whatever labels they have. I mean, that would never be recognized in France. And 80 years ago, right, nobody right. ate po'boy bread down here. It wasn't, it wasn't here. That wasn't what people ate. So, you know, getting to the root of people's taste and going back to what you said too about the chef at Tulane, I think really it's about flavor and it's about, it's about how you eat, not really what you eat, you know, the company where it was grown. I think that whole, that whole kind of, um, you know, just that brick road, just the trail of it, and, and where it's coming from. So, yeah. okay, huh. well, thank you. Now you brought up gluten. Do you, do you, are you of the opinion that um, that that uh, uh, some people are uh, no. jumping to an allergy diagnosis before they've experimented enough to determine if that's really the problem? Or somebody that that's you're somebody to, that's or? been diagnosed with celiac disease—that's very serious. And yeah, that's right, really, right, That's sure. a deathly condition. And right. I, I'm sure if they walked by that open door that we're sitting next to in this bakery they right, could right. possibly get sick or it's, it's ppm like the amount of gluten that it would take or sure. wheat to get somebody sick but i think the problem going back once again to this question is just the way that the food is treated and okay. not only the way that it's grown but the, the way that it's processed and right. baked and whatever it is so i think a lot of people have an aversion to the way because next to it's cotton not, it's you saying it not for for everybody it's not a gluten allergy not getting, people not everybody that, that's staying away from gluten it's an agriculture allergy yeah you know, it's right a, it's, a, it's an allergy to industrial agriculture right and the right, way right. that we eat you know but we, it, but, we but you could eat the same ingredient uh grow naturally and process naturally instead of i think it's more yeah. the processing right, because right, we right. wheat, cotton and tobacco are the yeah. most you know manicured and manipulated crops in human history so right. when you add all this yeast to it and you don't ferment it and you don't bring out the full flavor of it and people are just digesting this this you know this white brick so i think naturally fermented breads with quality gluten and quality ingredients really makes it a lot more digestible for people that otherwise would have an aversion to you know bunny bread or something else like that that doesn't really have any fermentation because it's just just kind of the solid product that you're consuming as opposed to something that gets 24 hours of fermentation or you know a little bit more patience as, as far as the way that it's being made huh. yeah. yeah we've That's had people come into the shop food. that um you know I, I sell grayson's bread on you know friday through sunday and they you know comment that you know i thought i had a wheat you know a gluten allergy and then but the, i can eat this bread right. you know and it's like oh you, you know probably wasn't the wheat or the gluten it was probably all the other crap it was the there. other crap right yeah 
Yep. Half yeah. of our breads have no gluten or no wheat in them at all, or excuse me, no yeast in them at all. And then, um, you know, we did a, for tomorrow, I think we mixed about a 400 pound batch of baguette dough. And that has maybe about four tablespoons of yeast in it. Wow. And that's 400 pounds of dough. So it's really minimal. Doesn't need you know, much. Yeah. Well, we put a lot of natural fermentation and starters in there as well. And the amount of time that it ferments really reduces so the a lot of shortcuts that, that they need. take. Not shortcuts, but production. I mean, it's 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 a conscientious choice. I wouldn't do it any no, no, other I'm way. I'm saying that others do it. I'm saying they're. I wouldn't even say it's a shortcut. Yeah. I mean, oh, you're, you're, okay. I mean, you're decimating the whole craft. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the nature of our life. It's, it's not, not even not. food. What, when all those things are yeah done added, it's not. Ed- I mean, it's not edible to me. Right. I'll tell you what's food. That's wow. food. That looks like food to me. I, th- right. no, I thought I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think I was on out to lunch. So will you, the chef, will you please uh, introduce yourself there. and tell us what you uh, okay. brought out? Well, uh, the food first, more important. Uh, that is Swiss steak. It's kind of my variation of Swiss steak. Uh, basically, it's uh, top eye round from yeah. a wonderful place. Yeah. Uh, ah. uh, sear it, slow cook it, deglaze it with some vegetables, peppers, onions, celery, uh, tomatoes, a uh, little bit of wine, a little bit of Worcestershire, uh, beef stock. Excuse me. Uh, break it down, make it a little tender. Uh, do it. Also, sauteed some mushrooms with uh, some Parmesan, some uh, balsamic vinegar reduction, and Herica Verde. Beautiful. Wow. Yeah, very nice. And you Where's tortured us because you brought all this to us without any forks. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> hey, I now, had that. Now I this is that. this is uh, Chef Mac- Matthew Radcliffe with Thrive, right? Yeah, correct. correct. Okay. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So, Chef Matthew. Yes. In addition to working with Thrive, you also have your own business? Yes, I do. Yes, Tell I do. us a little bit about that. Where else can we get food like this? Uh, well, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. Uh, my relationship with Peter, with Thrive, um, it's kind of a mutual beneficial thing, be- beneficial to both of us. Uh, we share resources. We share the kitchen. Uh, we share ingredients, you know, get a better price on things. I'm uh, basically his chef, um, and I help him. Uh, I just help Thrive out. And also, in addition, he uh, provides resources and uh kind of exposes me around town for a crescent cookery is my business crescent cookery so this is a, a personal chef kind of thing or uh, um, it's it's a jack of all trades it okay. uh, primarily is a catering business but catering that, business. That, kind okay. of, uh, that takes a lot of forms uh, for instance this past friday night we did a christmas party heavy hors d'oeuvres uh we also do a lot of uh, holiday cooking um for thanksgiving i did a lot of turkeys and hams uh uh Spiral hams, dressings, uh, dessert pies, things like that, delivered to the, your door. Um, right. Soups, things like that. I uh, sell a lot of products here at a Laurel Street Bakery alongside Thrive. Now, where uh, can we find out about your business then? Do you have a web presence? I do. Or? I yeah. do. Uh, in addition to Facebook, like everyone else, um, I also have it's crescentcookery.com. 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 And you're here operating uh, through Thrive also most days, um, 2.30 to 7.30, Monday to Friday. Well, actually, I'll tell you, the, uh, the business is never really closed. Uh, anytime okay. you can go online and place an order with me at 1 in the morning if you want to. Anytime okay. you uh, – there's a mi- – little sample menus on our website there's some pictures of some things we've done in the past uh you can check it out there just pick what you want just send me an email and uh, so i can get like three meals a day from you take out and i can look at pictures of it in between and, and hire and, you for and, an event and you can order three scratch and smell coloring books you have like and, with, and you can order soup <laughs> and you can order your holiday dinner for me and you oh. can go ahead and plan for carnival or tailgating uh 
We go as low end as just uh, wings and dips okay. and things like that. We go as high end as crown roasts and uh, look in this town, and especially in this town. You don't need to you don't need to apologize for mm. making good wings because it's right. not a wing town. Uh, it needs a lot more for uh, Muses Parade or for Toth Parade. I'm sorry, I've already got an order for uh, someone's uh, cookout for that. Awesome. So yeah, mm. and we're definitely open for carnival season. Awesome. So. Well, Muses is my favorite parade. Well, thank you. I right, really appreciate you. So you. And thanks for thanks delicious. for this delicious uh, uh, see meal. You enjoyed as well. it. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to return to you just a little bit, Grayson. Tell us some more about. I, I'm intrigued a little bit by uh, when you alluded to some of the history of uh, bread making, and um, I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts about that? Any other comments? We're we are running out of time. We have just a few minutes left, but I'd like to hear more about um, some of the discoveries you've been making historically about your craft. Yeah, I named the bakery Belgard Bakery was the name of the first bakery here in Louisiana. Cause the, that was the, the first bakery yeah, the, in the state the, of Louisiana. The, the, well, it wasn't a state, but the capital of the French territory in this part of the country was in Mobile oh, right. for about 20 years. Okay. And then when they founded the, the city here in 1722, right. the colony and the capital right. moved here, and the first right. bakery was named Belgard, and it was where the Pantabla right. is right now at this corner. No Saint kidding, Anne, yeah. Right, the Charter oldest apartment uh, building in the country. Well, it actually That's, predated yeah. the construction of the Pantabla right, building where the bakery mean, yeah. was. So cool. Just the, the, the depth of baking and tradition also, wow. I mean, I think it just gets neglected as far as the food culture of the city. The fact that bread and baking have kind of become symbolized by the French or po'boy loaf. And it's right. really just... Who's your second favorite baker besides <laughs> yourself in the city? In this city? <laughs> yeah. Definitely like Ravisa and Gracious Bakery a lot. Oh, Megan, both of whom we've Megan had on our show. Lisa, we love yeah, them both. Yeah, doing wonderful great. work. But, um, cool. I mean, even even after the Civil War, there are more than 250 bakeries here in town. There was uh. a, a Muslim bakery that opened on Chapatula Street after the Civil War. Uh. There was um, three dozen breweries in town after, you know, the turn of the century. Right. And just this, this depth of food and tradition that has right. kind of been paved under a little bit to kind of approximate only what you can find in Rouse's or possibly Winn-Dixie. So hopefully a project right. like St. Rock will really highlight something that's not an aberration but something that has always been here that just kind of got suffocated a little bit but you know not to toot our own horns but people like you know richard at st james cheese and seth and myself really trying to pull this back up from underwater you know where it was almost almost completely submerged well it's really fun because i mean to me all you guys are having an operation that you know it's fairly small at this point right i mean Mm -hmm. fairly modest you talk about having like four employees and you're doing it with uh, just a few folks we have about four employees about four right (laughs) and but, but band, you can band together with fun. St. James has been an established thing that's been wonderful for a long time in the city. But, again, it's a small operation. But together you can, you can do things collectively and, and, uh, and, and encourage each other in ways, projects like this, that I think you couldn't do uh, by yourself. And that's just another example, I think, of what we talk about all the time in the show, Margo, about um, just the value of community and relationship in New Orleans. And it gives a flavor to everything that New Orleans does. And, in particular, I think the food culture has that, where there's just a high degree of collegiality and so forth. That it's one more ingredient. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. And there's less of the competitiveness. And even if there are people mm-hmm. that are jealous or whatever, but there's also there's always going to be other people that want to help you out and mm-hmm. and uh, partner with you. And that's just really exciting to see. Uh, to me, that's that's beautiful. That's what human life's supposed to be about. So. That's uh, that's terrific. Well, I'm I'm so sorry that we're out of time. That flew by, didn't it, Margo? That was yes. that was amazing. Um, uh, I guess maybe one more time. Can you just give us the basics of your location, your hours, and contact information one more time for our listeners? Uh, we'll start with you. Oh, sure. Uh, Cleaver and Company is a whole uh, locally sourced whole animal full service butcher shop. We're located at 3917 Barone Street, kind of two blocks behind the Columns Hotel and by where the old Martin Wine Cellar was. 
and uh, you can reach us online at clevernola.com or um, call us at the shop 504-227-3830. Thank you. And Grayson? And uh, at Belgard Bakery, we bake fresh bread six days a week, every day but Monday, and we sell at restaurants as uh, different and varied as Petite Grocery and Broussards. And as far as retail outlets, we have a map on our website under the retail tab along with some other historical essays and information. And our website is Belgard Bakery, is B-E-L-L-E-G-A-R-D-E dot WordPress dot com. Thank you. This has been a delight. We've Our special guests have been... Seth Hamsed and Grayson Gill. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Midnight Menu Plus One is produced by Grant Morris and Chris Keogh is our technical director. And this fabulous audio quality that you hear is by PreSonus Audio Electronics. Makes all kinds of wonderful things. Visit PreSonus.com for more information. You can get in touch with us here at Midnight Menu Plus One by going to our website. It's NewOrleans.com. And from there, you can follow us on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, sign up for our mailing list, get all kinds of swag. Uh, and while you're at itsneworleans.com, you can listen to other episodes of Midnight Menu Plus One and our other shows, Happy Hour, Mindset, True to the Game, Vietnola, Out to Launch, and others. And if you're listening to the show on iTunes, uh, please rate us and review us. It helps other people to find us. Midnight Menu Plus One is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. I am Ray Kanata. And I'm Margo Moss. Thanks. You know Labor Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potty Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-Cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer, now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828. Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only.